Hi, everyone. Welcome to the B-Sides. Here at the B-Sides, we take pop music seriously, but not ourselves. I'm Hannah. I'm Mimi. I'm Becky. And before we dive in, make sure to subscribe if you haven't already. We have a quick announcement for all of you, which is that we are going to be taking a short mid-season break. So welcome to our mid-season finale. We're going to take the rest of February off. We'll be back in March. And that's even more of a reason to click that subscribe button and join us for our pop music and politics journey. Today, we are going to talk about Dolly Parton. And we are so lucky to be joined by our professor of Parton, our guest host of the week, Jacob Heath Enriquez. Jacob, we're so excited to have you. Jacob is the director of marketing for the new Primal. Jacob is the 2019 Whole30 Coach of the Year, which is like a huge deal. Mazel tov, yeah. Jacob. I want to um, take you up on this when like, we're done with the podcast. <laughs> there's, he it. has so much wisdom. Um, he's also the host of the podcast, We're Okay, with Jacob Enriquez, and self-appointed pop culture professional, which is what we all are. So welcome to the club. He lives in Atlanta, Georgia with his husband and animals, where you can find him watching Real Housewives reruns at any given time. So welcome, Jacob. We're so glad to have you. I am so excited to be here. It's it's like you're listing all of those things and I am so excited to do something that's like outside of the realm of what I do all the time because I don't really get to talk about pop culture all the time. <laughs> I love it. We could have structured this episode of like different Dolly songs as like Whole30, you know, <laughs> recipes or ingredients, but maybe it's okay that we that we didn't. <laughs> Maybe that's like uh, the uh, social media challenge part of this, an, an ongoing campaign. <laughs> I, love I don't know, though. Dolly is so sweet. It's going to be hard to find something that doesn't have sugar in it for the whole 30. You're, you're not wrong. I, I honestly hadn't thought of that. <laughs> she does have a lot of meat, though. There's a lot of substance to her, so you'll be able to find, you know, some, some good protein. Becky's <laughs> on it. I love this collision of worlds. <laughs> That's as much as my whole 30 knowledge is, so it stops there. We did it. That's the main gist. Great. I love it. Um, this is so exciting. So, of course, it goes without saying that Dolly Parton is a national treasure. If you're listening and you want to debate that, this this just isn't the podcast for you because we're not going to spend time convincing you. This is for people who already know that that is true. So if you, like us, believe that we are lucky to have Dolly, to share an earth with Dolly, and want to properly situate this angel in a larger pop culture context, then this episode is for you. So today we're going to talk about who influenced Dolly and then who and what she has influenced in turn. So let's dive in after this short break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back. So Jacob, to start, can you share with us your journey with Dolly? Like, what does Dolly mean to you? Yeah, I think for me, Dolly has always been more than just Dolly. As a queer person, Dolly gave a lot of us permission to exist in a larger than life fashion. She's always been unapologetically herself. And while part of that is the privilege of being a straight white person, she's also pushed back against an industry that really used women as props for so many years. 
but personally, I grew up on a farm and tended to a large amount of land constantly, like rode around on my four-wheeler. And I spent a lot of hours on that four-wheeler just belting country music as loud as I can to an audience solely of cows and horses. And Dolly was one that I gave repeat performances of quite a bit. <laughs> I love that so much. I feel like Dolly would really love to hear this. I, I assume she knows. Like, I just assume Dolly is omnipotent. Like, she knows that. You know what I'm saying? Like, she, she's aware. <laughs> I love that. Becky, Mimi, what's your, what's your relationship with Dolly? Well, first of all, that's amazing. And I can't compete and I won't even try. So, I, I mean, she's been a household name for my slash our entire lives. But I didn't really personally understand or appreciate her reach into so many areas until, like, 2012 or so I'm gonna say and the you know the incredible song she's written for her own catalog and those I know through other artists that I didn't realize she had written her humanitarian efforts her tv production her tourist attractions most of those things I've learned about retroactively um and much of which we'll get into and I'm still learning so yeah I mean I I just think she's great I feel grateful for her art and her attitude in particular um and she's an institution and an inspiration, especially now in these trying times, which I will never call the new normal. I'm embarrassed to say that I think my first introduction to Dolly Parton was on Hannah Montana. as She played Miley Cyrus's godmother, which she is in real life. Um, but that is my first like distinct memory. And I associate Dolly Parton with Molly, Miley Cyrus, which we will talk about because I'm not the only one with that. Although... I don't want it to downplay Dolly Parton's real and amazing impact on pop music and just the world and the vaccine and everything. Um, and I, I'm not familiar with that much of her music. I mean, I am, I know nine to five from Jolene and like, I think I know some of like the surface level of her catalog, but not as much as I think I should know. And I can't wait to talk about her more and to learn more about her. There's so much, so much to her. Um, so we also asked you all on Instagram at listen to the B sides, um, what Dolly means to you. And we received a lot of love, a lot of excitement for this episode. Um, and here were some of your thoughts. Um, first of all, the user with the handle cup of ambition, best handle ever nine to five reference. So good. So good. Um, said, uh, in terms of what Dolly means to this person, grit, Glam, love, kindness, flashy, trashy, sassy, while still getting all the shit done. I just love that. Yeah, and Emily said she totally owns who she is. No one can make fun of her because she's in on the joke and she started it herself. And then Rachel said she's better at unity than Joe Biden, which I have to agree with. And just going back to the inauguration, I understand that maybe we see Garth Brooks as this unity figure. I don't know why maybe Dolly declined. She didn't want to go to an event. She knows how bad the pandemic is. But Dolly would have been an amazing figure to have had sung at the inauguration, personally. Valid point. Valid point. And I, I think she said once that she, she was like, if there's going to be a punchline, I want to write it myself. And I think she's she's done that a bunch. So before we get into influences, let's do the quickest of overviews of who Dolly Parton is and why she's so special. So Dolly is one of the most successful and influential country music artists of all time, famously from East Tennessee, 
She's raised in a cabin at the foot of the Smoky Mountains that she once said had running water if you were willing to run and get it, which is just, you know, one of many famous Dahlia-isms. But she's been a public figure and beloved musician since the 60s when she first found fame as the female songstress opposite the show's star on a music variety show called The Porter Wagoner Show. And Porter was the star, um, but Dolly soon became the beloved counterpart, and the two of them began recording and performing country duets. But Dolly has been performing since she was about 10 years old, and I think she and her family kind of realized she had a gift very, very early on. And she made her debut at the famed Grand Ole Opry in Nashville at only 13 years old. Wow. Yeah, and Dolly is known as a talented a talented vocalist for sure. But another reason that she is so deeply beloved is because of her powerful songwriting abilities. Whether her songs are about missing the Tennessee mountain home or about lasting love, Dolly has perfected the country music songwriting pillar of storytelling and of crafting emotional journeys. No one can do it like Dolly can. From crafting emotionally fraught songs like Jolene and Coat of Many Colors or upbeat songs like Nine to Five or love songs like Islands um, in the Stream or I Will Always Love You, made famous by Whitney Houston, of course. I, Dolly has written a lot of songs uh, that, like Carol King almost, that we don't actually realize are written by someone else. And then you're like, oh shit, didn't Carol King like originally write that song feature? Or And then it's the same now, learning about Dolly. I'm like, damn, that woman is so productive. She is so productive. Dolly definitely knows how to seize opportunities for herself and make the most of them. Um, other... Other podcasts might be tempted to call her a hashtag girl boss, but the B-Sides listeners know by now that we'll have none of that. Um, so we'll just call her savvy and creative and successful. Um, so firstly, on this, on this note, since as early as possible, Dolly protected the publishing rights to her songs. Um, in her own words, she said, as soon as I could, I started my own publishing company, got my own record label. I think it's important if you can to keep all of your goods close to home where you can control them and know what's happening with them. And thanks to Taylor Swift, I actually kind of know what that means. And we know how important that is. Um, and secondly, on this note, Dolly has branched out way beyond music. She's been acting since her film debut, 9 to 5, most recently in producing, most recently producing and writing the Netflix Christmas movie just last year called Christmas in the Square. So that's 40 years of branching out of music into acting and a lot of other amazing business ventures. I feel like years from now, we're going to also do, um, we're going to think about Taylor Swift the same way. We're going to find out things she did later that we didn't know. Um, so I don't know that, that Taylor Swift call, it just made me think of that, but that's so true. Like her writing, um, uh, this is what you came for, you know, like we know that she wrote that, but like, what else has she written and didn't tell us that she's written that? Like, we don't know. What vaccine is she working on? Um, so, and I think unsurprisingly, people from all walks of life love Dolly and her music, but interestingly, she has mostly stayed silent about her personal politics, even over the last few years, while artists were learning that being vocal about their opinions was a part of their responsibility as public figures. And even though 9 to 5, the song, the movie, and the musical have clear messages about class solidarity and feminism, Dolly still to this day remains above the fray and barely comments on specific political issues. For example, the movie 9 to 5 was envisioned by Jane Fonda and her activist community to promote the union called 9 to 5 and has become an anthem for workers everywhere. But when Elizabeth Warren used the song 9 to 5 for her presidential campaign, she got a cease and desist letter from the Dolly team. She simply does not do politics. But one thing is clear from Dolly. She is unwavering. She is an unwavering ally of the queer community. She said, God made us as we are, whether you're gay, whether you're straight. 
I really just, I always want more from Dolly and everybody does. And I think that she knows that leaving people wanting more is better than leaving people angry. I think that's the calculation she's made. I don't know. I feel that. Yeah. Um, and of course, this is Dolly Parton's world. We're so lucky to be in it. So we want to get a sense of how she reflects so much of pop culture and how she in turn shapes pop culture today. So we're going to get into um, who and what she has influenced in today's contemporary society. But let's go back. Um, Jacob, can you tell us who and what was Dolly influenced by? Uh, For sure. So uh, Dolly was influenced by many artists and sounds, but there are four in particular that I think are important to highlight. Uh, The first one is the um, artist Brenda Lee, who we know is the original uh, recorder of Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. Uh, (laughs) And then another one was Patsy Cline, who I think most people know from the song Crazy. Uh, The big one, though, that I think stuck out as far as when I was like reading through this and making sure I had all of my data right uh, was her uncle, Bill Owens, who she actually started co-writing a lot of music with. Uh, And I think that from what I gathered, like he just pushed her boundaries a lot and made her kind of uh, stretch what she thought she knew about music. And uh, they wrote music together for a really long time, I believe. Her influences, particularly uh, on her style of music, though, were like Appalachian music, honky-tonk, gospel, jazz, and those very early country music styles. And I think it's interesting that like even as her music has evolved, she still has those like almost the same influences. I don't think that her music has changed a lot over time. I think she's definitely picked up, you know, new editing styles or producing styles. But I think those influences still ring true. And we love every one of them. I love that. Um, Okay, so after the break, we're going to talk about what and who Dolly has influenced. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back. So since the world was introduced to Dolly in the late 60s, she has had a profound effect on our culture in ways that are measurable and many, many that are unmeasurable. So let's break it down. Let's talk about a few... Um, people and ideas and concepts that Dolly has influenced. Um, Becky, why don't you start? Yes, I touched on this briefly, and uh, but let's start with our girl Miley Cyrus, who I honestly would not be where she is today, probably without Dolly. Many who are listening right now will know that Dolly Parton is Miley Cyrus's godmother. Also, shout out to the B-Sides, episode 22, All About Miley, which is great. We do say so ourselves, so you should listen to that too. But not only did she play Miley Stewart, Wise, and on Hannah Montana. Oh, I will say I misspoke before. I thought she played the godmother. And that's good to know she plays the aunt. But she and Miley have collaborated on a number of times on both Dolly and Miley's solo albums. One adorable example of their collaboration is Miley's song Rainbow Lamb from her album Younger Now. It's not the best song of all time, but what's cute is that it opens with a genuine voicemail of Dolly calling Miley and telling her she's excited to do vocals together and just generally being adorable and cute and it's what I picture like getting a voicemail from Dolly to be like. Dolly's vocals on Rainbow Land are also gorgeous because she has a beautiful voice. 
She has such a beautiful voice. Um, also, so uh, Miley has covered Jolene specifically a few times to really great critical reception. I think the most famous version of her cover was a 2012 YouTube video, which I really remember when this came out. Um, it was a part of what she called backyard sessions where she did a few different covers. Um, and I remember that a lot of people who didn't know that Miley, who, who just didn't know Miley well, were very surprised to hear how good her vocals sounded on Jolene. So this is like completely my speculation. Um, I have no idea if this is true, but I, I kind of think that the success of that cover helped to encourage Miley to do a few things. First, to use her voice in a more rocky and rugged way. It's not a rock song, but the way her voice was used, it was just different. Um, and I think it's so much better for her um, than the bubblegum pop of her songs pre-2013. Like, absolutely love Start All Over and See You Again, but I think her voice just sounds beautiful on Jolene and the songs that are like that. And second, I think it encouraged her to embrace covers of her idols as a way to showcase her talent and share her influences. Like we spoke about this in the Miley episode that we did that Becky mentioned, but Miley is so beautifully clear about which artists have influenced her. And I wonder if that commitment was kind of spurred by the success of this cover. So yeah, like Becky said, I don't think Miley would be where she is or the kind of artist that she is without her, her, you know, fairy godmother, as she calls her Dolly and with Dolly's music. I hadn't really thought about the fact that maybe, yeah, like that song probably made her realize she could be successful and have that ugly in air quotes voice, like that more, you know, rugged voice. So that's also, um, that this is a random fact, but the day that she filmed the backyard sessions was the day that Liam Hemsworth proposed to her the first time. Wow, so it was a celebratory song. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also think that drag would not be what it is today without Dolly Parton. Um, I think, and especially like queer culture in general, but there's a physicality to Dolly that drag queens really try to embody. And even the little proportions many of them create are Dolly-esque. There are little literal examples of this, like Trixie Mattel, for instance, who has performed as Dolly, covered her music, and then launched her own career with quite a bit of Dolly influence, especially on her first album, Two Birds, which I think is a must listen. Um, I play that album way too often, and everyone has is like, who is this? I'm like, it's a drag queen. You wouldn't know. Um, but there are also literal or less literal iterations of Dolly's influence in drag. For instance, Utica, who's a drag queen on the current season of RuPaul's Drag Race, she has quite a few performances and characters that seem to lean heavily on Dolly as influence, uh, in particular the 9 to 5 Still Magnolia's Dolly. Uh, there is a video I've seen on social media a hundred times of her at a drag brunch, and she literally looks like Dolly Parton in that video uh, without being Dolly Parton. So um, I thought that was really fun and interesting. We can go a step further than this, though, and just mention how much Dolly has been an ally to the queer community, especially given that country music itself isn't heralded as being progressive. Her 1991 song Family actually featured the progressive for the time lyric, but probably would not be enough today, uh, basically saying not to throw your gay kids out. <laughs> um, the character Dolly paints herself uh, also offers the appropriate level of escapism that the queer community often looks to um, to make every day a bit more manageable. Folks like Dolly give us permission to want more of other people while also caring less what other people think or feel about us. Um, also, fun fact, Dolly was in a Dolly lookalike drag competition and famously lost. I feel like everyone knows that detail, but if I didn't mention it there, I think I'd be a fraud. <laughs> Do you know when that was? Um, I don't, but the interview for that that I read was old. Like yeah. it's, it's, And so I think it was uh, probably 
I would say like 90s or something. Like it was it was a long time ago, I would venture. Oh, that's such a fun fact. I had forgotten about it. So thank you. And I agree. We'd be remiss if we didn't <laughs> mention it on here. So next up, let's talk about something else going on in the 90s. Her influence on the queen of power ballads, Whitney Houston. So if you didn't know before today that Dolly Parton wrote, I will always love you, then we're very relieved that you tuned in to today's episode because now you know. Dolly wrote this for Porter Wagner when she left his show to go solo. And when some many years later, the movie The Bodyguard was looking for a power ballad, they chose the song. So according to Dolly, she forgot that they had asked her for the song completely and found out by literally driving in the car, listening to the radio and hearing the song come on. It had been a while since she recorded it. And so she thought it sounded familiar, but literally didn't know it was her song until the chorus. Um, but always a class act as she is. Dolly speaks so highly about the cover and says that she adores it and has so much respect for Whitney Houston for making it what it became. And The Bodyguard was and is still the best-selling movie album soundtrack of all time. And then the other thing that I just love about this connection and this story is this great trait that Dolly and Whitney Houston share, which is this like to be gifted with this incredible voice, incredibly talented from the jump and like knowing it while also being unselfish when it came to their art. So they're both, you know, they, they, they have this collaboration here in a sense, and they're both true pillars and trailblazers of their genres, but they also made so much room for, and actually really lifted up other artists along the way. And so the two of them are both so responsible for, um, you know, other, other artists that came to be. So I just love that connection. And obviously the song that came out of it is timeless forever. Thank you for making that connection to me. I'm, I'm like getting in my feelings about, about that connection in particular, but just like who Dolly is. And, um, you know, I mean, we'll talk about this coming up in, in a minute. Um, but Jacob, you kind of made a joke, like Taylor, where's your vaccine, but it's like, Dolly is emulating like what it means to be an artist and a celebrity in like every way. And like Taylor can learn from, I'm sure she has, you know, everyone could like take a page out of Dolly's book and, and Whitney's too, of course, like it's, it just feels very special. I also think too, going back to like when we were talking about her not being super vocal about her political leanings and maybe her allyship with the uh, LGBTQ queer community. I think Dolly's a great example of someone who just does and you know, you find out later that she did certain things. Like she does the literal work every single day that I think that maybe that's why we don't expect her to be so vocal about certain things because she has come out as someone who is, you know, puts humanitarian efforts first, who has supported equality since the nineties. Like we don't necessarily need her to tell us every day on Instagram because we know that that's a pillar of what she's doing every day. Totally. And I feel like that's something that's really tough these days is you see a lot of celebrities um, talking the talk and then you are like, where is, where are you walking the walk? And like, are you? And it's tough because you don't want, like, I don't want every celebrity to be like showing on Instagram, like proof of their walking the walk, but you also like do kind of want to know that they're not just talking. And Dolly is like not doing that. <laughs> like she is doing the stuff. <laughs> exactly. 
So as we're kind of alluding to, um, yes, she's influenced artists from every generation, like we've mentioned, but she's also influenced our health. So let's talk about her COVID vaccine contribution. Um, Okay, I am going to take the first COVID-19 vaccine I can get, but if I could choose, I would put in one order for the Dolly vaccine, (laughs) as I'm sure many of us would. Um, So in April 2020, this is less than a month after COVID-19 was officially declared a pandemic, Dolly Parton donated $1 million to coronavirus research at Vanderbilt University. And through this donation, she directly helped to fund three pandemic-related research projects, and one ended up being a vaccine. And this ended up catalyzing the creation of the Moderna vaccine in particular, which is now protecting people all around the states. Of course, um, not fast enough, uh, but that is a story for a different pod. Um, There was a great podcast in 2019. Was it 2019? I think it was. Did I make that up? Um, called Dolly Parton's America. You're correct. Thanks. Um, I'm sure many of you who are listening to this have heard. Um, If not, I highly recommend it. It's really a joy. Um, It was created by Radiolab's Jad Abumrad, whose dad just very coincidentally befriended Dolly many moons ago um, after Dolly was in a car accident and he treated her. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because Dolly originally donated this money to Vanderbilt University Medical Center in honor of her friend and Vanderbilt professor of surgery, Dr. Abumrad Jad's dad, which is just like the full circle of the Dolly Parton's America podcast and like how that connection is going to help us get vaccinated. It's like amazing. Of course, that wouldn't be a necessary step. She wouldn't have to do that if our society knew how to prioritize public health outside of a capitalist structure, which it does not. Um, But it's a huge deal that a celebrity put their money where their mouth is. No offense to every other wealthy person or celebrity, maybe a little bit of offense. But Dolly is the model of what it looks like to step up. And what's especially amazing is that she gave the money and like all good donors should, she knew her role. She left the researchers alone. She understood that science is complicated and requires a background. So she did her part and then she stepped back. And she found that she found out that her funding helped with the vaccine at the same time we did and was of course elated. She hasn't gotten the vaccine yet, but Loretta Lynn, another country music icon and friend of Dolly got hers two weeks ago. So that's pretty sweet. Um, furthermore, the vaccine we're talking about is the Moderna vaccine. And I'm just going to brag and say that my mom was a consultant for Moderna and somehow like missed the Dolly memo. So I got to let her know that she and Dolly were colleagues. Um, You could say. So that was a treat. And I also just. I was going to say my mom received the Moderna vaccine. So thank you to Mimi's mom and to Dolly. (laughs) Yes. And my mom received it as well. So everyone's doing great. Friends don't let friends take the AstraZeneca vaccine, which I don't think is it approved yet. I shouldn't say that. Maybe they're going to come after us for bad for defamation of their vaccine. This is a comedy podcast, and we will not be sued. Um, but you know, keep keep that in mind. Anyway, let's take this whole vaccine conversation a step further and talk about Dollywood 
Dolly's theme park in Tennessee because it's being discussed by the state of Tennessee as a potential future site of mass vaccinations, keeping in line with its general mood of being a place that brings people together, unity, heals all, that sort of thing. Related to that, Mimi and Jacob, you both have Dollywood uh, takes slash experiences. Can you can you share a little bit of your Dollywood feelings? Yes, I, I will go first because I have the less accurate understanding of Dollywood because I haven't actually been there. And apparently I have more feelings about it than I realized. Um, but essentially, I would have some firsthand insight if not for COVID because I was supposed to go to Dollywood last May for my friend Charlotte's bachelorette party. And we were very excited for the iconic Pigeon Forge cabin that we booked like nine months in advance which is amazing, you know, the potential for memories to last a lifetime as is promised, but you, you can't win them all. Um, one thing that I was like really intrigued by and excited about is that like very close to Dollywood and part of a combo pass to the theme park is a Titanic museum attraction, which we were excited to check out, but the website and the idea of a Titanic museum attraction in a landlocked Southern state feels like really suspect. Um, the the website's really <laughs> insane as well. But, you know, I, I would fear, fear for our lives a little bit, but I was looking forward to seeing what was going on there anyway. But Dollywood itself seems like this really fascinating mixed bag, um, especially to me as a historian, because before she got involved in the 80s, it was founded around the centennial of the, the Civil War in the 60s as Rebel Railroad. Yikes. But now you have this amusement park and concerts and festivals and like a full-size steam train, allegedly, Jacob, I'm sure you'll confirm, going around it with the Smoky Mountains as a backdrop, which is my dream. Um, but there are definitely still a few troubling elements here or there. So, for instance, probably the best known example is Dolly Parton's Dixie Stampede. Changed to Dolly Parton's Stampede in 2018. And it was described as a kitschy dinner theater show with a quote-unquote springtime for the confederacy vibe credit there goes to aisha harris of slate for that one and i bring this up um as part of like the nuance of what i understand dollywood to be but also when our trip was still on one of our other friends was like hey by the way this exists and you cannot go to it or be seen at it especially as like the kind of american historians we each are like no. Um, and Charlotte was even planning on giving the bridal party some history homework in advance of the trip. And so I hope we get to do that someday and I learn what that is. But from afar, at least, Dollywood seems like very specific to Dolly and Tennessee, obviously, and also a revealing microcosm of certain strains of American history and mythology that are not good. But many parts of it seem extremely fun and charming. And like, especially if you love history and music and mountains. And so my take ultimately is that Dollywood contains multitudes and I'd like to experience them firsthand someday and learn how right or wrong I am about my own takes. Um, you were pretty spot on on everything. One thing, as you were saying that, it made me think about, which this is a little tangential, but in the Golden Girls spinoff Golden Palace, there was an episode about the Confederate flag. And it reminds me how much of like these like things in Dollywood specifically that are so problematic now, like mirror, like the 
character of Blanche Devereaux in the Golden Girls and the Golden Palace. Um, but long story short, they were hosting a Sisters of the Confederate thing at the Golden Palace, and she didn't understand why that was wrong. And so, anyway, I was like, oh my God, this feels like a Golden Girls episode, or Golden Palace, I should say. <laughs> Jacob, I remember seeing like a bunch of memes with that over the summer, and they were very, yeah, it does seem like the same, the same kind of idea. Yeah, and they were incorrectly attributing that to the Golden Girls, which drove me bananas. But, um, <laughs> um, so, I will say I, I went to Dollywood in 2019. I was like September, which is important as I talk about something in here. But um, I went for a friend's birthday and I honestly thought I was not going to enjoy this. And not because of Dolly or anything. I just felt like it was going to be like a big fair. I didn't think that this was going to be as fleshed out as it was. But to be honest, it really was a lot more Disney World-esque than I was expecting. Um, there actually was a county fair, but it was inside of the entire park. Uh, so it's like split up into sections and one part of it is, um, meant to mimic a county fair. I just wasn't expecting there to be like as many like rides and roller coasters as there were. I I really thought this was going to be more of a show pony type situation where like, you know, really just going there because it's Dollywood, not because of what it offers. Um, and I will ride almost any ride in the world, um, unless it looks boring and almost none of them at Dollywood look boring except the train that you mentioned. So I did not ride that. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, we went on a Thursday in September, so it wasn't very crowded, which was also nice. Like, I don't think we waited in line for anything except there was this brand new ride that opened, um, called the Dragonfly. And it was probably like the worst ride that I went on. Um, but it, and mostly I think maybe because it was the one that we waited on, I was so over it at that point. Um, but I was just honestly surprised. Like there were these huge wooden roller coasters. There were these really fast, like thrilling rides. I just didn't expect it. And I feel so bad for like not realizing that that's what Dolly would have given me to begin with. You know, I, I, I didn't realize that that's what I was getting into. Um, the only downside of the entire trip was there was this swarm of wasps at the top of probably like the biggest roller coaster there. And it was the one roller coaster that none of my friends who went with me would ride. So I had to ride it by myself. And um, when we got in there, we got locked in. The guy was like, by the way, there's a huge swarm of wasp at the top. If you get stung, it's really not our fault. And um, I was like, you know, this is a a risk I'm willing to take, like get stung for Dolly. Uh, I guess now we have a vaccine for that. But, um, and I was surprised when when we got to the top that there were, hundreds of wasps like I thought like oh there's a wasp nest with like 10 wasps there were you couldn't see through them in certain points that's how thick the wasps were (laughs) and they only told you I like roller coasters but when you get locked in that's like my moment of terror um they only told you once you were locked in they were like by the way wow yeah and you went through them Literally. So, so luckily I was on the left-hand side and the wasps were mostly on the right-hand side, but by the end of the ride, people got off and they were stung. There were people who had like already like swollen parts of their faces and their arms, specifically their hands. Cause they were, cause it's, it's, I forget the name of the ride. It's like Eagle something, but the way that that ride was is like the, um, it's not like a regular roller coaster where you're sitting on top of the track the cars are on either side of the track. And so you're literally like 
holding your hands up and like your feet are dangling. There's nothing above or below you. And so people got like stung mostly like on their extremities because they were just flailing around. And it was at the highest part of the, of the ride, you know, the big initial pull. So, um, it was, um, it didn't keep me from riding it a second time. I just made sure that I again stayed on the left-hand side and I did not tell anyone else about it. And cause I didn't want it to get so full. They made me go to the right-hand side. So in some ways I do have guilt. Um, but it was worth it. The ones where my hands are up and my legs are out are my favorite r- roller coasters for sure. So I, yeah, I might've taken that risk as well. Yeah. It, and it would have been, it would have been worth a few stings to be honest. Uh, if only wasps were less agile that's my regret here but that's it i mean that sounds like a nightmare and a great story so yeah i mean i i think if i'm not mistaken i'll have to see and, and maybe i can share it with you all but there i think i have a video of uh, or a picture of the wasp so i'll see if i can find it because it was one of those like don't take your phone out on this ride and i was like lol like i <laughs> do social media um so also in Dollywood, I was surprised at the amount of food. Again, like I kind of thought this was going to be a county fair thing where it was like, what flavor turkey leg do you want? And um, it was a lot more vast than that. I will say I, I can't eat gluten and there was so, almost everything had gluten in it. So I didn't get to enjoy anything, but I did get to see it. Um, and it was very much a how many toppings is too many toppings kind of experience at the funnel cake cart, which I was very jealous I didn't get to partake in. Um And then that reminded me of one more thing about Dollywood. Oh, I will say probably something I didn't appreciate as much. And I feel like you would have particularly Mimi was the historical aspect of it. You did get to like walk through Dolly Parton's old house. Um, They like mimicked a lot of like the environment in which she grew up in. Um, I, those, those things are usually crowded with a lot of people like a lot of older people and I get very uncomfortable around people that are older than me so I just don't hang out there (laughs) um but I did walk through and I did see that you know it was a tiny house and it felt a little trauma porny but uh it was I felt like it was necessary to be in in Dollywood for sure um yeah that's an that's like an interesting context I mean if only there were more people like me who were 29 on the outside and 97 on the inside um you know yeah that that seems like a tough um balance as kind of like maybe not quite an exhibit but sort of an exhibit on site yeah yeah interesting and and it was really great to see, and, and it gave you a lot of perspective. They also had tons of, um, like, pottery places. People were, you know, like, local artists were selling things there. Um, we went on, I think we were there a couple of days, because I, I feel like we also went on a Sunday, and there was, like, a church service, which not something I per- partook in, but, you know, happy that they got to do their thing. Uh, I assume they were worshiping Dolly. I don't know. Um, but it was really fun to, to see the culture around it. Um, and I would definitely go again. I just, I feel like I'd probably make sure like the wasp weren't there this time. I don't know how to check that, but that would probably be my only prerequisite. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I, as uh, Mimi and Hannah know, but I went to Nashville in September of 2019 for a bachelorette party and I became obsessed with like Tennessee and I'm going to add Dollywood to my list of uh, places when I can finally travel again and can visit my beloved Nashville. Let's do a um, B-sides retreat. Yeah. I've loved Nashville. It's an amazing right. place. 
next up on what has been influenced by Dolly, we have literally literacy, which should be a name of something. Literally, literally literacy. <laughs> uh, Dolly Barton founded the Imagination Library, a book gifting program that gifts free books to children from birth to age five in participating communities within the United States, United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, and Republic of Ireland. Today, her program spans five countries and gifts over one million free books each month to children around the world. Each month, Dolly Parton's Imagination Library mails a children's book to all all registered children addressed to them at no cost to the child's family. The books are designed to build on each other and grow in themes and levels of reading as the kids get older. Not to get too into children's literacy weeds, but this program is super sophisticated. According to the organization, every library, the books are chosen by a panel of early childhood literary experts. Wouldn't put it past Dolly, by the way, to not have done something that's extremely thorough uh, and not just giving people random like good night moons, you know. Uh, They review hundreds of book options to ensure that the books meet specific needs of the children as they grow from babies to five years old. The experts focus on themes for each age, group, and design the program to teach them themes that revolve around diversity, culture, the environment, self-esteem, and confidence, and art appreciation, of course. Within each age group, they also focus on concepts appropriate for the child, such as touch, vision, and sound for one-year-olds to science, poetry, and school's readiness for five-year-olds. Isn't that just the best? Dolly is a ferocious reader and leader and has written books for kids as well as memoirs of her own. Once again, Dolly is fitting the gap, filling the gaps where society without a strong social safety net has failed. I also have to say there's this um, uh, video on YouTube called Shelf Portrait. It's a series with like, shoot, I should know what I'm talking about before opening my mouth. But it's like Vanity Fair or it's Elle or it's some, some, you know, outlet. They have this series on YouTube called Shelf Portrait. And Dolly has one where she like goes through her bookshelf and it's so charming. She like pulls out some of her favorite books, but she also like one of her favorites is The Little Engine That Could. And she kind of talks about the Imagination Library a little bit, but she's just like, this is a great book. Like everyone should read this book. And she's just so sweet. I didn't know until I read that, like how much she really like she loves reading it's not this is like a very aligned charity for her like she just absolutely loves it it's adorable i i also feel like it's another example of dolly like not centering herself as she like tries to solve a problem and you know it i think like if we think about all of like the egos out there and like especially the celebrity world like one of them probably would have tried to name the vaccine after themselves or name this book program after themselves. And I, you know, she has a certain level of like my power here is my influence and my money. Let's do things with that. And then I'm going to take a back seat and go record with my goddaughter, you know, or, or something like that. Um, I, so I feel like to um, the last part of this list of, of uh, what has been influenced by Dolly, we have, probably the most surprising Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, Continuing these themes of Dolly being an incredible businesswoman and investing in projects she believes in, a very little known fact is that Dolly was an uncredited producer of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And this just makes sense. Dolly, a pioneer for equality in many ways, being basically a showrunner on one of the first female-led action shows. Some people say it's the first female-led action show, but Xena was technically, I think, the first there. Um, 
however, I think Buffy was definitely the first with like strong feminist themes. Um, I think much of the feminism featured in Buffy the Vampire Slayer would be outdated now. However, it was really a jumping off point for many other shows like it. For instance, Alias Dark Angel. Uh, side note, when I was, this was a few months ago, I was rewatching Buffy the Vampire Slayer and I was like in that thing where you watch a YouTube video for everything that you can on a subject. And um, I was watching something and I, I forget the name of the critic, but there was a specific critic who credits three shows with changing the future of television as, as they came out. And it was The Sopranos, X-Files and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So we also have Dolly to thank for modern television because Buffy offered like um, the idea of like a villain each season. It offered um, it was one of the first shows to feature like a mythos. So now we have so many shows that do those things and we have Dolly Parton to thank for that. Uh, the reason we have Dolly Parton to thank for that is she founded a production company called Sand Dollar Entertainment with her friend and business partner, uh, Sandy Gallen, in 1986. The production company is listed as the producer of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Sand Dollar Entertainment also worked on the original 1992 Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie, which was a box office fail, but then later inspired the show. So not only that, but Dolly has always went the extra mile. Later, when Parton learned that a female executive producer on the Buffy movie had been given less royalties from Buffy the Vampire Slayer than her male counterparts, Dolly took her out to lunch and handed her a check to make sure she was paid equally. Um, something I also thought that was super fun is while Dolly, um, Dolly's name is not on the credits, Buffy and Dolly have the same birthday, which is January the 19th. And I'm not saying that the reason we don't have vampires like roaming this world is Dolly Parton, but I feel like there's a chance that the Slayer might be slightly biographical. Um, and that's one of those things we'll find out a lot later. (laughs) I love it. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with Dolly Parton. I don't know if there's any anyone who doesn't like Dolly. Like, I don't know if there's anyone who at, who is as beloved by so many different generations, you know, so many different demographics. And just her staying power is so enviable. I actually imagine it's pretty stressful to emulate. Like, if you are a Taylor Swift or someone, or even Miley right now, like, she, she has remained... I was going to say relevant, but relevant isn't even the right word because it's not that she's just doing random things to stay in the spotlight. Like she is making all of these beautiful choices that are so aligned with who she is, who her fans are, but keeps us getting something new. Like even as recently as Christmas in the Square, as we mentioned, this most recent um, Christmas movie, which I love for many reasons, but mostly because Christine Bransky can do no wrong. And thank you, Dolly, for creating a, a vehicle for her. Dolly just knows what to do. She really knows what to do. I think, too, you can be a huge Dolly fan and not know any of her music. And I think that says a lot about the power of Dolly Parton, where music is definitely, you know, what got her probably where she is and it's what made her a household name. But I think there's a generation of people out there or large groups of people who maybe don't know a Dolly Parton song. I'm not saying they don't know I Will Always Love You. They probably just don't know that it came from her. Um but that are probably fans of her because of like all of the other things that she has done or really just because of her personality and staying power as it relates to, you know, the media, um, you know, her efforts around the vaccine, things like that. I mean, she really shows up everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, she, I've talked about this on a previous podcast and I'd like to talk about it forever, which is that (laughs) she and some other musicians of her generation who are pillars of the industry um, 
have this kind of like mysticism about them that we don't really have much anymore in part because of social media and other factors. And there are like a few people who've been able to recreate it, such as Beyonce more recently in her career. But um, Dolly has maintained that forever. And I think she seems like she, everyone says she's very private. She's not, she's not like a master of deception, but she's like a master of deflection, which with like her Dollyism, just like about personal and political things. Um, and I, I think that's really interesting because I do think, as you guys are saying, like it's, it's hard for artists today to do that and to have that same kind of like mystical quality. So um, yeah, it's really interesting. And I don't know that like she's had these two images to me, sort of. She has like the musician who is an incredible songwriter and plays all these instruments and everything. And then she has the kind of like kitschy, like talk show version of herself and and sort of like stage um, version that we've talked about. And they seem like they've kind of converged more recently. Like they both always existed, but she's now like this like even bigger mega icon because they've kind of like converged on the internet. I don't know. It's really interesting to me. Proud of her. It's like we know a lot about her, but we don't know a lot about her because her personal life is still extremely private. But because she gives in certain ways to... We, I, I feel like I know her, but I actually really don't know her. And I don't know what she's like, her personality is super like, or, you know, what she's like on a day to day. And I, and that also is probably because she didn't grow up in the time of social media, media and feel the need. Like at fandom now, it's like, we think that we need to know like what's going on in a celebrity's life every single day, because we feel entitled to that and I think that's like Instagram and Twitter and all of that to blame that like as fans now we like expect and demand to know like oh you're washing dishes like oh this is your hello fresh meal like etc even though we don't really know them but Dolly should be an example for everyone and celebrities of how they can do actual good and not need to share their hello fresh promo code <laughs> Yeah, sometimes I think they demand that we know. Yeah, you're right. What is going on? Like if Chrissy Teigen has anything to say about it, like we are going to know what she's doing. But we fuel that by following her and doing likes, not not us, but you know what I mean? People fuel it by it's like the royal we. A conversation for another podcast, perhaps about celebrity culture and all of of that. But you're right. Chrissy Teigen is a good example. When I was um, getting ready for this episode, um, I wanted to just be kind of like listening to Dolly music when, like just while I was preparing. And I did the thing that I I often don't like when um, casual listeners of some of my favorite artists do, but I did it, which is I opened Spotify and I went to the This Is Dolly Parton playlist and I pressed shuffle. So Jacob, I have not... This is a question I just thought of, so I'm putting you on the spot, and if you don't have an answer, that's very okay. Um, I'm wondering, Jacob, if you have a sense of, like, if someone is listening to this episode and they're like, I love Jolene, I love 9 to 5, I love Islands in the Stream, like, where would you tell them to go next? Like, what would you tell them to listen to? What are your What would your suggestions be? I mean, it, it's really, that is really tough. And only because I will say when I grew up listening to Dolly, it was very much the commercial Dolly part. You know what I'm saying? Like I, we didn't, 
Um, but like not the B sides you're saying. Well, if I had to say anything, if I wanted to talk, if I wanted to get someone like a magical experience, I would just say, listen to the entire best little whorehouse in Texas soundtrack. And I think that you're going to get like everything you wanted. And then some, um, I think that might be the route I tell someone to take, but I don't really have like a, this is the most underrated Dolly Parton song that no one listens to. Um, but I, I will say, and as someone who really strongly dislikes musicals, I will watch that every single time I see it on. Uh, and I think it's such a fantastic movie. And again, the soundtrack is just so good. Even the things, the parts of the movie I don't really enjoy, I think. So that's probably what I would say. It's kind of a lame answer, but I think that's what I would probably tell them. <laughs> I love it. She, I mean, being as prolific as she is, being active in every modern generation era i mean she does not take a break there is really something for everyone and um yeah if you're listening to this right now and you have a sense of how you think people should get more into dolly parton um let us know on instagram for sure we'd love to hear that amazing well we did it um i hope you all enjoyed how we contextualized dolly parton That's our show. But of course, it's not the end of the conversation. We can't wait to hear what you, the listeners, think. As always, we love uh, to tell you that, you know, if you've been listening to this episode and like screaming into your headphones or talking back to us as if you're the fifth person on our Zoom room right now, um, you should tell us what those thoughts were. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jacob. Um, Jacob, I'd love if you wanted to tell people how they can find you if they want more of you. Yeah, absolutely. Easiest way to find me is Instagram. It's uh, Jacob Heath Enriquez, but the H is not silent. So it was Heath Enriquez. Um, and also I do have a podcast. We're okay with Jacob Enriquez. I kind of do an episode a month just to check in, see, you know, what's going on in the world and how it's affecting us today. <laughs> Amazing. I have to say, um, like you are just such a joy to follow on Instagram. I actually don't, I wanted to ask you this and now we're, you know, pressing record and I have to get you on the record. Like, how do you, you're so prolific with stories and you caption all of them and you're so thoughtful about them. Like, is that, and that's not even your full-time job. You're, but you're (laughs) so like, I love your Instagram stories. And even the other day where you were like, I have some capacity, like, tell me what's on your mind. And you had people share what's on your mind and you gave just the most like thoughtful, personalized Uh, just advice and like love how do you do that you know I I I, I've really not kind of lucked into what I have on Instagram you know I have a a pretty sizable following and and I think that that happened because one of the commitments I made was if you're here like I want to hear from you I want to see how you're doing how can I help you today because at the end of the day you know I'm on social media to, I don't want to say to make money, but that, you know, that's a part of it. And I understand that that is a job. It's not my full-time job, but it is a job. And I really do think that when I think about what I needed growing up, when I think about what I would have liked to have had, um, I, I wanted to hear experiences other than my own. And I, my following is like 97% female. I'm going to assume most of them are uh, white and straight. Um, and so I think I offer probably a perspective that a lot of people don't get to see every single day. Um, and I think that, you know, I have a lot of privileges as, as a white male, uh, a cisgendered male specifically. And so I just think that social media is what you put into it. And rather than 
being defeated by it and being overwhelmed by it. Um, I'd rather just create a space that I feel like is conversational, that I feel like I get to add to and be a part of um, rather than one I feel like grows around me and I just have to figure out how to keep up. Um, I used to get overwhelmed by social media and I have developed a very healthy relationship with it over the past year and a half. It took me a while, but um, you know, not to say I don't get negative comments, not to say I don't get, you know, assholes, but um I definitely learned that, you know, it says a lot more about them than it does about me and I can move on from it. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, it's really, it's such a pleasure to be connected through the internet. Um, honored that the B-Sides is one of the, you know, many people who who look to you as as a real source of inspiration on what is otherwise often a hellhole app. So thank you. <laughs> awesome. And likewise, I, I don't follow a ton of accounts. I mean, I am one of those people who I'll follow and then I'll go on a binge and unfollow and Every time I unfollow and get that number back down to following 200, like the B-sides is still there. So (laughs) (laughs) honored. So honored. Honored, Yeah. And thank you so much for joining us. This was such a treat. And I learned a lot. Absolutely. I, like I said, I love doing this. I was telling Hannah earlier that like I used to listen to podcasts all the time. And now that I, when I worked, started working from home two years ago, uh, I stopped listening to podcasts as much, but I would still like pop into the B side, see what's going on. And, um, you know, I, I definitely was really excited to get asked to do this. Um, also side note, it's so funny. My, I have a twin sister, her name is Hannah. And so every time I like throw out your name, I feel like I'm like talking to my sister here, but. <laughs> well, hi, other Hannah, if you're listening. <laughs> Shout out to Hannah. Um, but I, I'm really glad to, to have been here. This was a lot of fun. And, you know, you cemented yourselves as my favorite podcast when you did a Real Housewives episode. And then, then I, you know, to get asked right after was a, a pleasure. <laughs> I love it. That's so great. All part um, of the master plan. Exactly. Becky teed that up real good. Um, Amazing. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you, Jacob, for being who you are, for being on our podcast. Um, Our big announcement of the day, as we said up top, we are taking a short mid-season break. We'll be back in no time, but we'll not be out with our episode regularly in two Wednesdays like usual. So keep up with us on Instagram at Listen to the B-Sides, on Twitter at the B-Sides pod. Join our Facebook group um, by going to bit.ly slash B-Sides FB group or searching the B-Sides in your in your Facebook bar. Um, please do subscribe to our podcast, rate and review us on iTunes. We would love five stars, you know, as always, we, that always means so much to us. Thank you for all the support you continue to give us. And until the next time we cut to the feeling after our break, I'm Hannah. I'm Becky. I'm Mimi. Bye everyone. Bye. Bye. You after February sleeps. Yeah. <laughs>